You're listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I'm ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. Hello, listener. This is the ASPS University podcast, Enhance Your Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Ash Patel. Today's episode is titled Protecting Your Assets, and we're joined today by Carol Foose. Carol is a CPA who has over 25 years of experience in financial consulting for physicians. She's a co-author of more than a dozen financial resources and has given numerous articles, lectures, webcasts, and podcasts on tax planning, wealth management, and other financial topics. So thank you today, Carol, for joining us to, to discuss this topic. Thank you, Dr. Patel. First of all, can you explain to the listeners what is asset protection? So that's really the discipline that focuses on shielding someone's assets, either business or personal, from potential future liability. When we talk about asset protection at OJM Group, we use a minus five to a plus five sliding scale to indicate to someone whether they are totally exposed, whether an asset is totally exposed, meaning it would be at a minus five, or totally protected, which would be at a plus five. Most things are somewhere in between that, and there are various components to asset protection. You know, insurance provides asset protection. There are legal things you can do. There are certain assets that are exempt by law, and so that's that's really encompasses what asset protection is. So why would a plastic surgeon need this kind of planning? Well, I think the most obvious answer to that question that would you know come to top of mind would be medical malpractice. But that's really not certainly by any means the only risk that a plastic surgeon would have. You know, there could be employer claims such as harassment or wrongful termination. There could be HIPAA violations. There could be slips and falls in either a medical building that a plastic surgeon is an owner of or even an injury at their personal home or a vacation home. So, you know, we do also tell plastic surgeons in terms of planning for asset protection, we don't want you to, to push a panic button, but maybe sort of think about it. Spend 1% of your time thinking about your asset protection planning. Spend the other 99% of your time building your assets. You just mentioned practice uh, and personal. So let's first think about the, the practice um, assets. What type of tools with regard to asset protection might a plastic surgeon need to think about? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, at the basic level, if we think about building blocks, solid insurance would be that base level. So that would be, again, good medical malpractice insurance, good, you know, property and casualty insurance, um, employer liability insurance. I think examining various insurance coverages is very important. And then in addition to that, looking at making sure the practice has the right type of legal entity and various legal ways that the practice is formed um, will offer varying levels of protection. So I think the plastic surgeons listening to this podcast will want to make sure that 
the legal entity for the practice is up to date, that it's in good standing. For instance, if, if a practice is a limited liability company, make sure you're filing those things with the state where the LLC is organized to make sure you're in good standing, make sure you're filing the forms, that you're having meetings, you know, putting minutes in, documenting those meetings to make sure that should you um, have a liability issue, you know that you're covered and the court's not going to say, oh, you're not really, you know, a valid legal entity. You know, I think in addition to that, if the practice or a practice owner owns real estate, you want to make sure that real estate is owned in a separate LLC with a lease back to the practice. You know, and an LLC is important in these things, we feel, because corporate stock really has no protection from outside claims, but limited liability companies do offer what's called charging order protection. So they they tend to be more protective than a corporation for the practice. Carol, you mentioned um, setting up a, an LLC or, or limited liability corporation versus um, other types of corporation. Uh, I know that you know some of our members may be familiar with a small business corporation or or an S corp. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about the differences and uh, maybe the the reasons why uh, someone might choose uh, one over another? Yes, that's a great question. So. When what we find typically, and what I found in my accounting practice over the years, is that when a client, you know, when a surgeon is setting up his or her new practice, they go to their accountant or their attorney. Typically, what the accountant or the attorney might tell them is, you probably want to be taxed as an S corp. So maybe they set them up as a corporation and then the the surgeon or their CPA elects to have them taxed as an S corporation. We believe that a limited liability company offers better asset protection. And again, um, different states have different levels of protection for those LLCs. But what it's important for people to know is that the limited liability company is the legal entity. A limited liability company can actually choose how it is taxed. So a limited liability company that's got more than one owner can choose to be taxed as either a C corporation, an S corporation, or a partnership. A limited liability with only one member can choose to be taxed as any of those except for a partnership or can choose to be taxed as a disregarded entity, meaning they would file on Schedule C of their personal tax return. So setting up as an LLC, which offers better asset protection, does not mean you can't still be taxed as an S-corporation. So that's, so that's interesting to learn. Why would someone choose not to set up, set up their practice as an LLC in that case? Well, I think generally you wouldn't if you're setting up a practice now. Uh, or there aren't really any reasons that I can think of that you wouldn't. Many, many clients set up their practices. You know, LLCs are a somewhat new feature. They, they haven't always been around. One of the important things to note for a limited liability company versus a corporation, if a creditor is awarded 
a judgment against a surgeon and the surgeon's practice is a corporation or any business entity is a corporation, that creditor can get stock of a corporation. For a limited liability company, there are things um, in place that's called charging order protection. So for a limited liability company, that creditor does not become a partner or a member. Uh, the creditor can't touch the assets. The creditor does not get voting rights within the LLC. Now, again, you want to make sure you've got the right language in your operating agreement for all these things. And the creditor can't force that LLC to make distributions. So if I own an LLC and I have a judgment against me, I can stop making distributions out of that LLC and there's nothing that the creditor can get. So what typically happens in that situation is a creditor and their attorney are then willing to settle a judgment for pennies on the dollar for much less than the judgment award because they know they don't really have the ability to force distributions being made. I think our listeners may well be familiar that the malpractice environment differs from state to state. How might some of the other things that you mentioned vary uh, from state to state? You're absolutely right. Pretty much everything varies by state law. Certain states have better asset protection laws than others. You know, for instance, uh, limited liability companies, there are certain states that have great charging order protection. So you may find when you go to an attorney to set up an LLC, they may recommend to you that, you know, they may not say, oh, you live in Kentucky, let's set up a Kentucky LLC. They may have you form your entity in a different state that's got better protection laws. Um, so that that's also very important to to talk to an attorney about when you are really evaluating your asset protection um, and certainly when you're setting up new entities or trying to solidify your asset protection. Yeah, let's go back to talking about personal assets. Do we have to, as a plastic surgeon, do we need to think about our personal assets in a very different way to the practice assets? Well, you need to certainly think about them separately. Um, I would tell you, you also, you need to protect them very much. You know, one of the things that we often hear when clients come into our firm initially, they think perhaps that, oh, my personal assets are fine. Everything is in my spouse's name. You know, that's not good personal asset protection because even if there's no divorce or, you know, there's never going to be a divorce, there are things, for instance, your spouse could get into a car accident. Your children could get into a car accident and injure someone. There are all sorts of personal exposures also. And for personal assets as well, you know, that basic building block again is, is insurance, good homeowner's insurance, good auto insurance, a good solid umbrella insurance policy. But also various states have state exemptions. You know, you might, every state has some sort of a homestead exemption for how much of your personal residence is exempt, what, you know, what level of value is exempt from creditors. Insurances, you know, life insurance has various exemptions in various states. IRAs have various exemptions in various states. 
So those are all state dependent. Qualified retirement plan assets um, are federally exempt from creditors. So that's important to note as well. But you want to use for your personal assets legal tools to fill in the gaps. So just like in your practice, you may want to set up some LLCs uh, for your personal assets too, to hold investments, to hold a vacation home. You know, you might want certain types of trust or family limited partnerships for those personal assets. Can you can you give us a little bit more information about protecting uh, personal assets such as uh, a home? Sure. So uh, a state's homestead protection is going to be the best protection on that home. You know, again, in addition to the the basic blocks of homeowners and umbrella insurance, each state will have a various level of homestead protection. So some states will say your personal residence, regardless of the value, is exempt from creditors. Other states will say, you know, up to $200,000. Some states have very low homestead exemption. So that's going to be important to know. In addition to that, some ways that you can protect your home are, for instance, managing the equity in it. So if your home is paid off, then it's exposed to creditors. It's an asset. If your home has a mortgage on it and very little equity, then obviously there's very little exposure to a new creditor because the bank's going to be first in line for that asset. Using your home as collateral against other debt, if you've already paid off your mortgage, might be a way to help protect the home. And things like qualified personal residence trusts can also be used to protect your home. My next question really relates to to the surgeons who who are employees, whether they're an employee of a practice, um, a private practice, whether they're an, uh, employed by a health system or or a university. How do how do the surgeons in those situations, the employees, have to think about their asset protection in, in any different way to someone who might own their own practice? So, for the employed surgeon, obviously you are less worried about the coverages for the practice itself. But again, if you've got, if, if there's an incident where you are sued as well, so obviously think about a malpractice incident, there's probably going to be a suit that would also name a surgeon personally. You want to make sure your assets are protected from any finding where the award might go above the level of insurance or the level of insurance coverages that you have. And again, for employed physicians, those personal assets certainly are going to be very protected. You know, we we tell clients often that one of your greatest assets is your ability to earn an income. Um, so you want to protect that and protect what you have earned by setting in place some of these asset protection tools. And is there a certain kind of threshold that surgeons need to think about in terms of their their net worth before they they start thinking about asset protection? Or is this something that surgeons early in their practice, people who are are just starting practice in in a few months from now need to think about? I think it's a great thing for surgeons to think about from the very beginning, 
Um, and the reason I say this is essentially educate yourselves so that you're setting things up in the right way from the start. So to the extent that you can educate yourself about what your exposures are and what tools are there to protect you, then you can begin to plan accordingly and, and start it from the beginning so that it's set up correctly. Now, does that mean if I am a 50-year-old surgeon and I've really never done much to look at this other than, you know, buy my MedMal insurance and buy homeowner's coverage and an umbrella policy? No, it's definitely not too late to have what I'll call a diagnosis of your assets and how well they're protected. But I think, again, the earlier in your career that you're planning, um, the better off you are. From from what you said, it sounds like this is a this is not a simple task. There may be attorneys involved, other financial professionals. How expensive is this type of planning? Well, certainly, it it really depends, you know, on what the client decides to do in terms of what level of protection they're looking for. I think the first step for a surgeon would be you know, to go get a diagnosis, to have someone look at all of your assets, how they are owned, and sort of explain what the exposure for that is. That is typically not, you know, extremely expensive. For instance, you know, my firm charges about $1,500 for that type of a diagnosis. Um, There are attorneys out there who would do the same thing. Then what you're going to do is, you know, perhaps make some changes to your operating agreement uh, so that it's better protected. You know, that's going to obviously involve an additional fee from a state licensed attorney. But we also tell clients all the time, you have to worry the cost and the benefit, right? I think it's important for a client or a surgeon to know what are my exposures. And then each individual surgeon has to weigh his or her own tolerance for risk and also what that level of risk is to determine how many of these steps do I want to take. And I think that's really important too. You don't, you don't want to have an advisor who sort of throws the kitchen sink at you and says, you need every one of these because every one of your assets needs to have plus five protection. That's not realistic and that's not the case. Is this... Um... Does this process take uh, a long time and does it take several months or is this something that's completed in a much shorter time frame? It really can be completed in a fairly short time frame. You know, when we go through a diagnostic process with our clients, what we find is typically the, the slowest part of the process is really having clients gather the documents to provide so that um, they can be analyzed for what the risk level is. You know, you're gathering LLC operating agreements. And for many of our clients, many surgeons, certainly, there are various entities that they are owners of. So you might be gathering a lot of those. But essentially, you know, it's it's a questionnaire. It's sort of think about looking at your personal balance sheet. What are your assets? How do you own them? You know, in whose name? And, and so it can be done relatively quickly, you know, within a, let's just say within a month or so, you can often get this kind of a diagnostic. 
Carol, can you tell us a little bit about retirement planning and qualified retirement plans? Absolutely. So qualified retirement plans are one of the few assets that are actually federally exempt uh, from creditors. So if you think back to O.J. Simpson, and if you remember, he once he was acquitted, um, he was sued personally. But, you know, his biggest asset, I believe, was his NFL pension. That could not be touched by creditors. So just like that, physicians, surgeons uh, have qualified retirement plans, such as a 401k plan or a defined benefit plan. That is an asset that is federally exempt. So it doesn't matter what state you live in, it's exempt from creditors. Individual retirement accounts or IRAs, however, are not federally exempt. Those are covered by state law. So in certain states, an IRA is exempt from creditors, but in other states, it's not. So that's also, I would tell any surgeon, for instance, if you're an employed surgeon and you're looking at changing jobs, and you know most people, when they're changing jobs, they might then roll over their current retirement plan either into a new plan or into an IRA. It's really important to know in your individual state whether that IRA is protected and to what level it's protected because for many of you, it might make more sense to roll it into your new retirement plan where it's federally exempt versus into an IRA. Again, depending on what you feel is your, your level of risk. To me, it makes sense when you're thinking about that, look at what the investment return is going to be as well. Absolutely. You know, we tell clients all the time, and we're a, we're a multidisciplinary firm. So, for instance, I'm a CPA. My partner, David Mandel, is an attorney who focuses on asset protection. We have CFPs and investment professionals in, in our firm. We try to come at everything from all of those different points, you know, and I think as individual surgeons are doing their planning, that's what they want to do. You don't just want to look at it from an asset protection lens. You want to look at the whole picture. How could an ASPS member learn more about about asset protection for themselves? So certainly a member can go to our website for my firm. That's www.ojmgroup.com. On our site, there are various webinars and podcasts related to asset protection. We've got a few books that we've written, as you mentioned at the beginning, and those often have asset protection chapters in them. Most of them do. We've actually even got a CME piece that is nationally certified for continuing medical education on managing risk. We have a new book that we just published that is called Wealth Planning for the Modern Physician from Residency to Retirement. That's sort of basic building blocks at various levels of practice, which also covers asset protection. And then in addition, OJM Group does offer free consultations. So if a surgeon wants to get on our website and put in their information, they can speak to one of our firm members and ask some asset protection questions and get some basic information that way. Does your group work with uh, with clients uh, nationally or is it 
geographically limited? No, we actually do work with clients nationally. We have offices in Cincinnati and Fort Lauderdale and Phoenix, Arizona, but we have clients in, I believe, 48 states. So we travel a lot, we speak at a lot of medical conferences, and we have clients all over the country. For the listeners again, would you just repeat um, uh, URL for the for the website? Sure. It is www.ojmgroup.com. Uh, Carol, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your, your busy schedule to, to join us today uh, on the podcast. Uh, I just want to highlight once again the URL www.ojmgroup.com. And as you mentioned, there's there's some resources there that uh, our members can can look at, and uh, we'll, we'll also try and and put some links to some things at the download site uh, for this podcast on the ASPS website. And Dr. Patel, I'm not sure I mentioned, but the ASPS members who are listening to this podcast can also there's a code if they do go to our website and visit the bookstore on our website they can use the code ASPS in order to get any of those resources for free so they they don't need to pay for those just type in ASPS um, at checkout and the price of the books will go away Thank you once again for for being a great guest. Very very informative. Um, hopefully, uh, our members will will think more about um, some of their asset protection. Thank you, Dr. Patel. It was great to join you this morning. Join us on the next episode of Enhance Your Practice, where we'll be talking with Larry Keller from Physician Financial Services about why it's important for a plastic surgeon to seek guidance from the financial planner. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University and our host, Dr. Ash Patel. You can listen to our other episodes on any of the podcast platforms where they are currently available, or you can download recordings directly from ASPS EdNet. New seasons and episodes are coming soon on practice management. Please contact ASPS Education with your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for tuning in.